of you who are new, uh, we tend to go through a book of the Bible and, and focus on that for a while. We are going through the gospel according to Mark right now. And uh, we're going to be reading from the 10th chapter. We're in the 10th chapter finally. And it is pages... 715 and 716, I believe, in the Tapestry Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, take it. So Noah is going to be nice enough to operate that in the back for me while I read from my Bible. Whoops. There we go. Make sure that's on. That is on. So this is what uh, the Word of the Lord says. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your heart's Because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Uh, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman uh, commits adultery against her. And if he divorces her husband, if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, guys, one of the things I love about the fact that um, we go through a book of the Bible is that I don't control what we talk about. There have been a few times where somebody's come that I knew was dealing with something, and I was able to say, hey, either I'm a genius prophetically to where I was able to pick this out a year ago, or it just so happens to be your bad luck that you're here tonight. Um, But I'm not talking about tonight here on this. But what I love about this is I've been in churches where divorce is the unforgivable sin which is not in Scripture. And I've been in churches where divorce is just completely dismissed, which Jesus didn't do. I I think one of the reasons that a lot of churches, a lot of, uh, of sins are mentioned is because people think there's nobody there who deals with that. Because statistically, divorce is very much a Christian issue. The divorce rate among Christians is actually a little higher than the divorce rate among those who are not involved in a church at all. Now, you can talk about why on that. Uh, One of the the debates is, is that possible because so many people outside of church are not getting married anymore? Uh, It's interesting, actually, if you do some some studying on on marriage, marriage is actually becoming more of an uh, an educational thing. Uh, If you have a higher education, the chances of you getting married and it working are, are much greater. It's kind of surprising. Uh, people who don't get married now are those who, who do not have as much of education, and not even just the education. Uh, people who are in lower socioeconomic levels tend not to have successful marriages. It's kind of weird. Uh, some people actually say that uh, marriage now may become a, a thing that only happens for those who are in higher socio, socioeconomic levels. doesn't matter. Jesus isn't talking about that. That's me just blurbing. Um, so let's talk about what Jesus was talking about. And what I want you to hear beforehand 
is that God hates sin, but God forgives, 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 over and over and over again. And I know that there are people in the room who've dealt with this because I've talked with some of you. Uh, I know statistically there are people in this room who will deal with this. This is not to be discussed as though it's an academic issue. Okay, my brother has been divorced twice. Uh, it is a very personal matter for me. I've dealt with it with my friends. I've dealt with it in family. Uh, only an idiot addresses it as though it's an academic issue. Or only an, a person who just thinks it doesn't matter their life and probably doesn't at that point because they chase away all the people who actually deal with real life at that point. So why did Jesus talk about this? Well, he did because these guys, and I got to tell you, I love biblical, uh, I love church plays that try to describe biblical characters. Please tell me what in the world is on their head because I can tell you that is not what any Pharisee would have worn. <laughs> and I don't know if you could really see it, but it, it, it makes me think of what? Oh, what? It does kind of, yes. What I thought of, was I immediately thought of of, um, of um, Mario Chef? No, I didn't say. Nah, I think of the mushrooms in in all the Mario games. <laughs> okay, right there. I like Mario Kart a lot, and I'm just thinking, get the mushroom, you'll go faster. Um, guys, Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes—these were the three main religious slash political groups of the ancient Near Eastern Israel, and. They didn't agree on much. They did agree that you could get a divorce. But they didn't even agree about what it meant. And here's why. Here's the verse of Scripture they would go back to. It's the first verse from the 24th chapter of Deuteronomy. By the way, if I've done your premarital counseling tonight, it's going to sound very, very familiar to you. And for quite a few of you in the room, that's true. Um, so it's this. If a man marries a woman who uh, becomes displeasing to him, isn't that a fun reference? Uh, because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from her house. Now, we'll talk about why here in just a little bit. Because, see, we look back on Scripture quite often and go, oh. Okay, as somebody who was not a believer in Jesus Christ, was not raised in church, and as a family of people who, who are not churchgoers, there are times where I read stuff, especially in the Old Testament, I'm like, Okay, there's a reference to to a young maiden being divorced and the punishment for the uh, not divorced, excuse me, raped. And the punishment for the guy who rapes her is he has to marry her. (laughs) No, it doesn't work now. (laughs) Don't go down that route. Don't joke about that. There are times where I read it, but we're looking backwards. The truth be told, when scripture was written, they would have been looking forward and going, nobody can live like that because it was so far ahead of the game. And this reference to divorce was actually a way of protecting women. It doesn't sound like it right now because of this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, and I can tell you, those of you who are not married, your spouse will never be displeasing to you for any reason whatsoever. Pam's laughing. I'm not. (laughs) And here's the thing. They debated. They didn't debate the displeasing. It was this. Something indecent. And there was a broad spectrum of of what that meant. There There were three main rabbis, but two main ones that talked about divorce in this time. Shemai and Hillel. 
Shimei held the standard that you could divorce a woman if she did something such as burning your toast. That was indecent. Hillel said it had to be something truly egregious. Okay, so you had this case, and truthfully for Hillel, it was mainly if she committed adultery on you, if she had sexual relationships with someone else. But there was a spectrum. And when I say burning the toast, that is not exaggerated. What happened was this reference that was actually meant to protect women. And you will see it over and over again. I, one of the things that Jana and I have talked about is reading the New Testament is how blatant it is that the women are very involved. And you read, uh, read the Gospels and it's like, woman, 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 woman. And then you think for a second, wait a second, this is ancient Near Eastern society. A woman couldn't even testify in court. And there's reference after reference after reference. The first people to declare that the Messiah is coming about is, is, uh, is Elizabeth who is like, hey, my baby jumped in my womb because of the baby in your womb. Why would the mother of my Lord come here? Woman referencing the Messiah. First people to reference the resurrection of our Lord, women. Just blatantly over that. If you read the Old Testament and you go, what were women treated like at that time? A certificate of divorce was actually a huge thing. See, what happened was women were enslaved. It wasn't slavery, but they might as well have been enslaved. Because if he didn't write her a certificate of divorce, let's say that that someone here... Jacob and Crystal, you're, you're now married. I pronounce you husband and wife. Actually, I pronounce you husband and wife. There we go. And let's just say that, that you burned his toast. And we all know Jacob does not like burnt toast. It's indecent. <laughs> Thank you, Jacob. You're on tonight. And he boots you. Before the certificate of divorce, he didn't have to write her a certificate of divorce. What was her relationship with him? What? Kind of. He sent her away, but she's still his property. He's not taking care of her. He's just sent her away, but no one else can take care of her because she still kind of belongs to him. The certificate of divorce, the whole mindset was she's now free to at least marry someone else. It was earth-shattering at the time because beforehand he could send her away and just kick her out of the house, get another wife, and yet if she quote, married someone else, well, she's, she's sinning against her husband who she belongs to, which is outrageous. So God sets up this pattern that is actually there to protect women, and then what ends up happening is uh, humanity takes it and turns it into this weird loophole to where it actually ends up destroying marriages. We never do anything like that. It's great that we are not like them at all. They are so foreign from us. And I love the fact that I read back there and just go, wow, they're really strange and none of this connects to me at all. Because we would never actually turn something that's supposed to be for the union of two people and turn it into something that is more about having you know, lavish ceremonies and then divorcing. What was uh, the, the Cardassian? How long did she last? 72 what? Days. 72 days. Days. What? Yeah, an evening. Okay. All right. I have, I have this weird thing on the bottom of my foot from running that I've had for over a year. I have put up with that for longer than the Kardashian wedding. That's sad, guys. Yes, I probably need to go to the doctor, but <laughs> that's sad. 
No, it's it's a it's a uh, calcium deposit from from the running, and I pick it out, and then it grows back, and I pick it out, and it grows out. Yeah. Y'all want to see it? <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Every now and then I'll pick it. I was like, that's a core of calcium for my skin. Yeah. And those who listen to the podcast are really going to love this one. <laughs> so guys, they took this thing that was supposed to be for the protection of women and they actually turned it into to basically a way to, to abuse again. So the question we really have to ask is, God sets this up, and it is a step forward. It really is a step forward. But, but why does divorce bother him so much? And we will see in Scripture over and over, divorce bothers him. I'll quote in a little while from Malachi. Malachi says, speaking of God, am I not talking loud enough? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You did that, so I thought you were telling me louder. Go for it. I would say it is part of the covenant, but we're going to get to something else that I think is actually even before then. So let's get into it. This is the beginning of the creation story. There's two creation stories. There's a creation story of Genesis 1 and then the creation story of Genesis 2. I don't mean that two as though they're different. One is like broad picture and one is smaller picture. Okay, um, Genesis 1 goes through these days and then Genesis 2 starts off with in the day that the Lord created and it just focuses on creation of humanity. And, and it's interesting why God creates a couple. And it's this. It is not good for man to be alone. Why? <laughs> realistically if it was just men will we get in trouble but guys it's not it's not his reference is not like oh we've got to have a way to procreate because all the other animals he designs them procreation and he doesn't go it's not good for the giraffe to be alone no he doesn't seem to care if the giraffe is alone he just makes the giraffe a mate but he specifically says with humanity it is not good for man to be alone. And I think it comes back down to this. Now, again and again and again in the first two uh, chapters of Genesis, the image of God is referenced. And the image of God is a thing that we don't exactly know what it is because God doesn't just go, this is the image of God. Here's the definition of it. Here's an example of it. He just says it over and over and over again. And it's very, very important, but we don't always know what it is. So I'm going to discuss a, a theory, some theology with you that, I, that shapes me. But there are others, okay? Some of the, the uh, definitions of the image of God is that we have dominion. Because if you read the verse before, it will say, let us make uh, man in the image of, uh, in our image. And uh, that way he will rule over the fish of the sea, so forth and so on. Some people say it is because of the fact that, uh, that um, well, basically we're the image of God in the sense that Jesus would create as human, so therefore uh, Jesus you know, is human, so therefore we are the image of God. This kind of a, a weird kind of psycho, not psycho, um, cycle, yes. I'm thinking of Doctor Who type stuff where you go back in time and it cha- shapes the future type stuff. <laughs> Here's where I think it comes from. If I were to officiate your, your marriage and I was to do your premarital counseling, and right now I, I did Anthony's premarital counseling, I, I finished you guys' premarital counseling, I'm in the process with your premarital counseling, and I 
think I'm done in the room at this moment uh, because another couple that is a part of us is in Sheboygan. Just a fun word to say. I love Wisconsin. Um, Because they're going to be married this weekend and then they'll be back later on their threads. And then we've got like five thread weddings right now. It's kind of absurd. But what we would start off with the very first time we met was this. That word right there. God. First word, Hebrew word used for God in the Old Testament is Elohim. You may have heard that before. Uh, People refer to it as the name of God. It is a name of God, but what it means is God. Is it singular or plural? What? Oh, no, Robin, it's great if you answer it because, yes. Isn't that fascinating? Did you hear what she said? Both. It's, It's interesting because the singular for God is El. You will see it in lots of other names every now and then. You'll see an El added, or you may see El Rapha, God of comfort. You may see El Shaddai, God of glory. Uh, my personal favorite woman in the Old Testament is this lady named J.L., who, who takes a, um, I can't remember what tribe or what nation he represents, but Caesarea, he was a, a general, and she kills him with a, a tent spike through his head. I just love the Old Testament. It's awesome. <laughs> but her name references God. El is singular God. Elohim, Ohim would be a Hebrew plural ending in every other word except for one, and that is Elohim. This is a singular word. So God created man in his singular own image. In the image of God, he created him singular. Male and female, he created them plural. Here's why I think this is important. If you've come to Tapestry for more than about three weeks, there are two theologies that we come back to over and over and over and over again. Anybody want to say them so that I feel good about what you're learning? Incarnation would be one. And Trinity. Very good. Oh, Drew's showing off. Just saying both of them. Trinity. Trinity is that God is three and one. I had a a professor who used to say he is the great us that is he. He is the they that is I. He, He would just go and play with this all the time. God is so great in his oneness that he can only be conveyed in three. And we talk about how that it's because he's love. That he is the father looking at the son and saying, don't you see how great he is? And breaking out at his baptism and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the son going, don't you understand? It is better for you that I leave and the comforter would come, which is what he says after he's resurrected. It is better for you that I leave and the comforter come, i.e. the Holy Spirit, than for me to stay. Jesus literally says, if you have a choice of me staying here forever or, or me leaving and the Holy Spirit being here, you should choose the Holy Spirit point blank and the spirit causing people to shout out uh, to the father holy 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 is the lord god almighty the whole earth is filled with his glory it is love it is the father loving the son the son loving the spirit the spirit loving uh, the father and vice versa and vice versa that way god can be one and love at the exact same time because if it's just god up there going i love me that's kind of creepy but if it's the father going i love the son Don't you see how awesome it is? That's a love I want to follow. So we have this image of God where God makes him in in his image. He makes them male and female. And yet marriage is described as two becoming one. Sound familiar at all? Two 
becoming one. And Jesus uses words like, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And if I were doing your premarital counseling, what I would talk about is, is that literally the reason that Jesus loves marriages, in my opinion, is because when two people become one, it shouts out to the greatness of a God who is three and one at the exact same time. That successful marriage is not just about you staying together, but successful marriage is about you becoming more and more one. That one day soon there will be Katie and there will be Brad and there will be Brad and Katie. No, I tried to do that with Drew and Kate earlier, and they were not big fans of that. Apparently, the celebrity name only works if you're a celebrity. Otherwise, you're a dork if you do that to somebody. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, see? <laughs> so, God is displayed when two people become one. Why? Because his nature is multiplicity and singularity at the exact same time. That's how love is there. He is us and he is I at the exact same time. Because we serve a God who is a friendship in and of himself. We serve a God who is love in and of himself. And that's why when he says, this is how people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another, it makes perfect sense because we are most like him when we are madly and passionately in love with one another. So why would the two main examples in Scripture that God would use to display His relationship uh, with us be marriage and fatherhood? Because those loves convey His very nature. So this is why God would say, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. It doesn't mean divorce doesn't need to happen sometimes. But it doesn't mean that he ever loves divorce. Those of us who are in the, the Monday night small group, and I'm, if, if I talked with you with a, about a small group before, because I believe all of us should be involved in a small group, it is incredibly important. Uh, and I, what I tell you is I want you madly and passionately in love with one group. Don't spread yourself out all over the place. The point is not for entertainment. The point is for you to be involved in people's lives but I'm breaking that rule because I'm involved in two groups because I'm trying to start another one. Um, but the group that I that is my group, we meet on Tuesday night and we're reading through C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity right now. And he talked about divorce and he described it as, as it's never a good thing in and of itself, but sometimes the results of it are good. And he describes it like an amputation. An amputation is never good. Nobody should ever be like, I want my hand chopped off. Okay, I think my wife every now and then wishes my hands were chopped off. But you should never just think, what are you going to do today? I'm going to chop off a leg. That's not a good thing. I'm sorry, did I embarrass you? I didn't mean to. <laughs> that, that was not in the sermon notes. That was me talking off the top of my head. I should not do that. <laughs> so, but there are times in people's lives where it's best to chop off something. My dad, uh, two years ago, I can't even remember which, which finger it is. Noah, Pamela, do you remember which finger it is? I think it's this one. I think it's his middle finger. 
my dad is a woodworker and he's made a decent amount of the furniture in our house and he kind of got ticked he's like i'm 67 years old and i finally chopped off a digit the saw blade hit his finger and and it didn't chop it off it disintegrated the bone so they had to remove the rest of it because they were afraid it would become gangrenous and would begin to to hurt the rest of his body. My dad was not excited about chopping off his finger, but it was best at that point. Jesus talks about there is a reason for divorce. It's not a good thing, but it might be life-saving. And whoops, I have this wrong. There we go. Um, in Matthew 19, he says this. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital, uh, marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, this focus right here, this word, mar- or this description, marital unfaithfulness, is this word right here in Greek. And I don't usually bring out the Greek because I think the English is good enough. But this word should sound familiar to you. Pornia. We get pornography from it. It usually refers to sexual immorality. But most scholars say in this case, it has more to do with that oneness of body. That someone who basically separates himself or herself away from their spouse, i.e., some of the translations, if remember that King James does this, talks about infidelity, unfaithfulness to the marriage. There are times where the promises that are made are completely disregarded, And it is no longer safe for you to be married. And I stress that because I do not think someone cheating on another person necessarily means that that's the end of the the marriage. I've seen people work through it. On the other hand, I've heard idiots say, Jesus wants you to stay in a marriage if you're being abused because the only thing, only grounds that are there is if that person cheats on you. If they hit you and they never cheat on you, you have to stay. And I just think Jesus would be ticked off and want to hit that person. Because my God protects the weak. He does not subject them to more torture. Most scholars come back and say that even though it says uh, pornea here, it is not just talking about sexual immorality. It is talking about a breaking of that oneness. There are times where divorce is not just necessary. It is the only thing that will enable life. that doesn't mean it's a joyous occasion. I have been around divorce and I have seen the pain. And even if it's life-saving, it doesn't mean it's easy. And if it is easy, it makes me question what in the world you ever did marriage-wise. I I don't do a lot of weddings because I used to be a youth minister. I do more and more now. I can tell you this. I'm pretty picky about counseling. Uh, uh, Those of you in the room that I've done it, when we talked, the very first thing I said was, uh, I will gladly uh, do your ceremony. I would be honored to do your ceremony, but I require that we go through counseling together, point blank. Not because I'm that good a counselor, but because I've seen people get married for really stupid reasons. I have a friend. Is it not working? Okay. I have a there we go. I have a friend who married his wife. He's now passed on. His wife is still alive. Married his wife the day they met on a dare. On a dare. Thankfully, they had parents who said, no, 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 marriage is a sacred institution because they were just going to get it annulled. And they said, no, you can't. 
You have to try and make this work out, work out for a year. They were married until the day he died. I was at his house when he died. It was an amazing relationship. But they would tell you, it was the most screwed up way to ever start a marriage, ever. <laughs> uh, the couples that I do counseling for, I tell them, there's only one wedding that I've done counseling for that has failed thus far. There are two weddings I, I don't hear from them anymore because they, I didn't know them as well. Uh, but there's one, and that wedding lasted 11 months. It's the only time in counseling I've ever told a couple, uh, I don't think you should get married. It's not a credit to me because uh, I still officiated the wedding. Uh, but I came home that night, and I don't discuss stuff counseling-wise with my wife, but I told Pam, I was like, this is screwed up. Because when I asked them, why do you want to get married and you can't just say because you love each other? He said, um, she has nice hair. See, there are idiots who think that marriage is a nice thing to do. Oh, don't worry. Her answer was no better. <laughs> and the worst thing about it was I thought she was going to blow up and get ticked off. And she was like, oh, okay, that's nice. See, marriage is an image of God. And it should be addressed as such. So, I don't want you thinking that Jesus has ADHD and he bounces from subject to subject because if you think about it, I'm giving you a second to read, this should be funny. Thanks, who was that with the nice laugh there? <laughs> that was the courtesy laugh. <laughs> I don't want you thinking Jesus is ADHD because if you read the scripture, this is what happens, okay? Before this, Jesus was talking about how to be a disciple. After this, Jesus is going to talk about how to be a disciple. And suddenly in the midst of this, Jesus talks about divorce. It is not like Jesus just goes, hey, this is really important. By the way, divorce! And this is really important. <laughs> the cartoon wasn't funny and this was funny. <laughs> I think you guys are all on drugs. Yes, sir. Guys, I think this has a lot to do not just with our relationship as disciples, as those of us who are married, those of us who've been divorced, but also those of us in the room, whether you get married or not, I think this teaches us something very valuable about what it means to be a disciple. Because I think what it teaches us is that our whole life should convey who God is. My marriage, if it is successful, conveys the very nature of God because you see me loving my wife passionately and caring for her more than I care for myself and you see her loving me passionately and caring for me more than she cares for herself. And that speaks of a God who is worth following. Everything in our lives should be an act of discipleship. The way we parent should reflect our relationship with God. The way we drive should reflect our relationship with God. Which means when you cut somebody off, you admit it. You don't send them the Hawaiian high sign, okay? You live a life as a disciple if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I think that's why he talks about divorce. Is that our lives should reflect the very image of God in everything we do. I also think we need to know that God hates divorce. 
I, I think far too often the Christian church is poking at other people's sins and pointing it out and never hitting on our own. Why? Because it might hurt us. Because we might lose a tither, we might lose a Sunday school teacher, though we don't have Sunday school teachers and we're not tithing enough to pay the bills, so it doesn't really matter at that point. But guys, I think we don't talk about that sin because it's so much easier to talk about the sin that goes on outside the church. And that is not what Jesus would do. We pull this junk like we're prophets. The prophets came down on the people of God. The prophets said, you say you're following God and you're not doing anything like it. Divorce should be the, the exception in the church because we care so much about conveying the image of God. One of the things I love is there's an, there's a, an early church manual that talks about if a husband is abusing his wife, that the pastor should go, and the phrasing is, with two stout elders. <laughs> I love the fact it says stout. Yeah, Pete's back there going, I'll do it! <laughs> Why? Because as a church, we should be so concerned with conveying the image of God that if we see junk going on in our midst of it, we go and we take care of business. And we protect the weak. And we say, no, you can't treat marriage as though it's just some nice little thing you do just so you can have a nice ceremony. No, you're committing your life to one another. And you separate if it is a matter of life and death. And then the last thing I think we need to remember is that we have a God who forgives and He does so greatly. There are churches in this world that you cannot be on a leadership position if you have been divorced. And it doesn't matter for what reason. There are churches in Stevens Point. Okay, and I'm a big fan of all the churches in town. I pray for them regularly. But I know of churches in town that if you were divorced before you were a believer, you cannot be in a leadership position. But... You could run a slum lord, be a slum lord, and cheat people out of their pay and be a deacon. Now I've read the Bible quite a few times, and I can tell you, God comes down on those who who mistreat the weak much more than He does on those who divorce. He hates divorce, but He hates, hates, hates someone who runs a wicked scale, is the way He would refer to it. That's why in our church, if you're divorced, we follow a God who forgives. Truthfully, you might not need to be forgiven because the divorce might not have been your sin. I firmly believe divorce always has sin involved and it doesn't mean everybody always equally shares. Sometimes you're the victim of somebody else's sin. And I don't think Jesus is up there going, I'm sorry, you were divorced because you married a bozo. Now you can't be in a leadership position. So before I end and we sing, does anybody have anything that needs to be added or you need to disagree with me or you need to correct me? Okay. Yes, ma'am. So was it only men who could divorce their wives? The wives could not divorce No, but the vast majority of the references are to the men divorcing their wives. Women can divorce under certain circumstances. To be honest, Janet, it was a little more difficult. Mainly because, again, a woman wouldn't have wanted to at that point because it put her in a, in a very bad position. Uh, but no, there are references, specifically Exodus 21, talks about grounds for a woman divorcing. Uh, I believe it's Exodus 21. I'm talking off the top of my head. But if a husband cheats on her wife, she has the right to divorce also. But probably, 
70 to 80% of the references are a man divorcing her husband, his husband. Yes, sir. Did you did you raise your hand? Oh, okay. I'm sorry, Jacob. I thought it's so. Yes, sir, Henry. Deuteronomy twenty one or twenty four one. There is more to it. I just I I cut it out a little bit because it it Deuteronomy bounces around a lot. So yes, it is an incomplete sentence. So guys, here's what I want you to do. If you're married, convey the image of God in your relationship. Uh, do it purposely. Work on it all the time because God's goal is for you two to become one, not just stay together. If you're divorced, God is with you. He forgives. He loves you. And if you were divorced because of, of dealing with abuse, then you know you married a bozo and God will deal with that later. You're not condemned. If you're not married, convey the image of God. Live in such a way that people see love in your life. Because it's about discipleship. We're about to find out that the way we treat kids is about discipleship. If you need someone to pray with, I'll be in the back. Pete will be in the back. Otherwise, let's sing to the God who is three and one. And the God who is love. Pray with me. Father, help us to bear your image. Help us to be like you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. You guys can stand up if you want.